morning, church. You know, it is uh, really good to see you this service. As Daniel said, the lights went out and we rolled with it. So I guess we'll see what happens. Hopefully the lights stay on, fingers crossed. But uh, I just thought as we get going, I might give you some pastoral advice. If you are looking for a really nice mask, there are these things called fishing buffs. They're nice and breathable. They're stretchy. They don't really fog up your glasses. But here's a really cool thing. When you take it off and you tuck it in like this, it kind of makes you look like Fred Jones from the Mystery Gang. So where are my Scooby-Doo fans at? Come on. There we go. I saw some hands. Let's go, doll family. Um, so I'm Carl. I'm one of the guys who works here. So glad you decided to join us online or in person. We are just going to jump right back in to Luke's gospel, um, pick up where Chad left off. But would you guys just pray with me as we get going? Father, thank you that you love us. <laughs> thank you that we have a God who loves us. Thank you for sending Jesus, your son, for us. Thank you that you have given us a ruler to look to, a king, King Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you'd move in our hearts, that you would humble us, Lord. I'm just, the older I get, the more I'm aware of my pride. Would you humble us, God? Would you humble me, would you help us to hear your word, God, and receive it? Would you speak, Lord? Would your power be made perfect in my weakness this morning? And would you move in our church family for the good of those around us, God, and for your glory? We love you, and we ask that you would do these things in your name. Amen. Well, um, I just thought I'd start with a question this morning. What are you living for? We're starting really easy, right, this morning. What, but what are you living for? That's a big question. What got you out of bed this morning? What's been driving you this week? What are you living for? And man, I, I could just tell you personally from me, I have lived for many things. Many things in my short life, I have lived for many things. For example, I've lived for what other people think of me. I have lived for that. I have lived for achievement. I have lived for comfort. Oh my gosh, we've been set up in America. I have lived for comfort. When I came to college, you wouldn't believe it, but I was actually a pre-med major, declared pre-med. I know a lot of you are thinking like, wow, I didn't know Carl was that smart. I'm not. <laughs> I was a pre-med major. I know like a lot of doctors go into medicine because they care about people and they want to help them. But me reflecting on my motives, I recognize, man, I just, I wanted the comfort. Like I wanted the title and the money. And man, I have lived for so many things. And even now as a Christian, someone who has given my life for Jesus who has said, Jesus, my life is yours, not mine anymore. I still, to this day, find myself living for other things. It's crazy. I used to think I was like pretty consistent, pretty cut and dry. But the more I live, the more I recognize my life looks more like the country or the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. When they would be close to God and then they would walk away from him and live for other things. And then they would trust God and then they would look to other things for their purpose. And then they would trust God again and they would leave again and again. And I'm like, Lord, that looks like my life. 
I am so inconsistent. I am so in need of Jesus. And one thing I recognize as I reflect on my life and on the things that I have lived for, I recognize that the things I'm living for, those things I am giving power and authority over my life. I am giving, like if I was living for other people and what they thought of me, I'm literally giving them the power and authority to tell me my worth. When I'm living for comfort, I am giving that all power and authority to drive me to make money, to see those Benjamins come in. What we live for has power and authority over our lives. And it influences us in so many ways. And I just want us to be thinking about this idea. What are we living for? What has power and authority over our life as we jump into this passage? Because that's really what stuck out to me as I was reading and praying through this this week. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open it up. Um, We're going to start in verse 31. And we're just going to read through verse 37 to start here. And it says this. And he, being Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! I don't know why he said ha, because after that he was terrified. (laughs) But he says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Like, I, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him. And notice the demon tried to hurt the guy, tried to like disobey Jesus. But what happens? It did him no harm. Verse 36, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word For with authority and with power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out of him. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And what I want us to start with is reflecting on how in verse 36, it says, Jesus has power and authority. And specifically right here, he has power and authority over demons, over spiritual things, over things that we don't even understand. I have no idea how that stuff works. And Jesus has power over all of it, over the things that we can't comprehend. But also, in, I, I would say this is more pressing because we can kind of put that stuff in a box. I don't get it. But even more pressing at the top of this passage, in verse 32, when Jesus is teaching them, he's teaching them about life about their day-to-day, about their practicals. And it says that they were astonished because he had authority. Jesus has all authority over things we don't understand and over just our day-to-day life, things that we do understand, things that we think are normal. And the question I want to ask you this morning is what authority have you given Jesus in your life? What authority does Jesus have to dictate your days? Because there's this reality that we experience where Jesus has given us the dignity to choose. 
We can choose when we, make, when we wake up who we're giving power and authority to direct our life to. Is it going to be comfort? Is it going to be what people think? Is it going to be achievement? Is it going to be Jesus? And while we have this dignity given to us by God to choose, there's also this reality at the same time that Jesus has all authority over everything. And think about a story to kind of like help us make that connection. Have you ever like when you were a kid, like long, long ago before you became sinless, but when you were a kid, were you ever like being babysat by someone and they catch you doing something wrong and they like reprimand you and you're like, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my parents. Have you ever, has anyone ever done that? That, that didn't happen frequently for me. My dad told me I just loved to listen. I wanted to please. I wanted to obey. But when they put my sister in charge of me, it was a different story. And many of you guys know my sister, Jenny. She works here. She's the creative director. She's awesome. And we are very close in age, just over a year apart. She's older than me, but I like to make jokes that I'm older. There's kind of that competition thing going on. But we came to an age where my parents felt comfortable leaving her in charge of us. And when I would do something bad and she'd be like, no, Carl, you can't do that, mom and dad said. And I'd be like, you can't tell me what to do. And then I would just disobey. And then my dad came home and he was like, Carl, she can tell you what to do. I have given her my authority over your life when I'm gone. I have given her authority in that moment. And it kind of reflects this now and not yet experience that we have. Where yes, Jesus is totally in control of everything. And yet we have been stewarded the ability to choose what controls, what has authority in our life, in our day-to-day situations. And as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about God's power and authority, the power of Jesus, John chapter 1 came to mind. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word become flesh. And just the first three verses in John chapter 1, they say, in the beginning, before time, before creation, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and everything was created by him and apart from him was nothing made. Literally everything in all of creation was created by Jesus. And the thing that boggles my mind, guys, is that he didn't raise a finger. He wasn't like building Legos and putting them together. He literally opened his mouth and planets shot out. Are you kidding me? God has so much power and authority. He not only created everything, guys, it's not like he just set these systems into being and then spun them off and said, there you go. No, Jesus is way better than that. Actually, it says in Hebrews 1, 3, that he upholds, that he maintains all things by the word of his power. He upholds every system, everything that he's created, and he keeps it going. If you think about it on a huge scale, Jesus is upholding the sun, a huge, absolutely way, way bigger, many times bigger than this planet, a giant nuclear reaction that has been going on for thousands of years. Jesus is sustaining that. 
The reason the planet is going around the sun right now, that is happening because Jesus is upholding that. He's intimately involved. And even more than that, in a more felt and intimate sense, the reason that your heart is beating right now is because Jesus is upholding the systems in your body. The reason you are able to take breath and fill your red blood cells with oxygen and send them coursing through your body, sending life throughout your system, is because Jesus is upholding you right now. So he not only created everything, but he upholds and maintains every beating heart. Jesus has all authority, all of it. And as I was thinking about this as well, Jesus being called the word in John chapter one, it just put this picture in my head of when he was teaching in their synagogues. Can you imagine the word made flesh teaching from the word of God? That's crazy that Jesus is the breath of God speaking to the prophets beforehand. All scripture is God breathed. Jesus spoke it into existence and then he was teaching with it. With what level of mastery did he wield the sword of the spirit? The word of God. That is crazy. That is crazy to me. It must have been amazing. And one thing I want you guys to think about this morning is, do you have somebody in your life that you know? Think of someone who wields the word of God in a masterful way. They know how to strike the tensions that you're feeling. They know how to encourage you when you need it. They know what passages to go to, whatever you're going through. These people are an immense blessing to us, are they not? For me, I've been privileged to know so many people who are masterful with the word of God, with the sword of the spirit. But right away, the person that I think of is Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe is amazing with that. I've met with Pastor Joe so many times. Y'all, I have problems. (laughs) I've met with Pastor Joe so many times. And every time he listens, he meets me where I'm at and he brings me to God's word. And it impacts me. It convicts me. It challenges me. It supports me at the same time. It is a beautiful process that helps me grow through my problems. It's better than just a pat on the back, like it'll get better. It's helpful. And I'll just encourage you, think about that person in your life. This imagery of the Bible as the sword of the spirit, I think is pretty, pretty pointed And specifically, it makes me think of my childhood. I, y'all, I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings. Like, no shame, for real, like super nerd. Like, I watched the extended editions, all that stuff, like how they made the films. It was awesome to me. Like, when I was a kid, I was absolutely captivated by the story. As a young man, like the purity of the mission, fight evil against all odds, right? Keep going when there is no chance for hope. And then good overcoming evil. Sorry if you haven't seen it, spoiler. But good guys win. It was amazing. It just captivated me. And specifically also the battles captivated me. Me and my friends, when we would play, 
when we were that age, we would go outside and half the time we were playing, we would be looking for swords or sticks. <laughs> we would just go around looking for a good sword and we would find them. And like the perfect sword was one that was big enough where it was strong enough where you could hit stuff with it and it won't break. But it's also light enough that like, you know, like an eight, nine, 10 year old can swing it, right? And we were obsessed with swords and we would look on eBay and we were like, man, I want to get a sword someday. Like, I really want to get one. They're so cool. I would use it all the time. (laughs) Then one day I had a friend who's like, oh, I think my dad has a sword. So we go over to his house. We go into his dad's office and he pulls out this huge broadsword, like three and a half feet, ginormous. And me, like 10-year-old self, I don't remember how old I was, I go up to him, he's like, you want to hold it? And I was like, yeah, are you kidding? Been living for this moment. I go and I grab it and I try to pick it up and I could barely lift it. It was so heavy. It was like 15 pounds, which isn't anything now, right? You know, just making sure you know, 15 pounds ain't nothing now. But <laughs> back then, 15 pounds, As like a nine-year-old, I could barely pick it up. And instantly, I was filled with fear. I was like, if I pick this up, I don't know where it's going down. Like, if I pick this thing up and try to control it, I could hit somebody and hurt somebody. This thing is huge. It's powerful. And I have no idea how to, to wield it. It's heavy. And it instantly had this thought in my mind. I was like, what would I even do with this? So I never got a sword, needless to say. All that to say, though, it can be tempting to approach God's word this way. It's huge. It's heavy. It's hard to handle. What would I do with this? I mean, like, I think it it comes out of this place of sometimes we read it, it's hard to understand, More than that, we see other people handle it in a way with intent to harm others. And even more than that, I think we've seen people use God's word to justify things that we know do not line up with the character of God. And it creates this idea that, man, God's word is big, it is heavy, and it is hard to handle. Not me. And as I was reflecting over that, I've totally felt that in my life. And I remembered something actually my dad said to me. And if you're a dad out there, I'm sure you've probably said this to your son or to your kids. But everything worth doing in life takes a lot of effort. Everything worth it takes effort. And the reality is, y'all, we need God's word We need it for so many reasons. Primarily, first and foremost, y'all, it's because Christianity is about relationship with God. It is not an ideology. It is not a value system. It's not about learning the dogma and being able to debate with people. That's not it. If that's what we think, we've completely missed what Jesus says. Christianity is about relationship with God. Personal relationship. And for those of us who've been in relationship long enough, we understand that primary in relationship is communication. It is so necessary. Hearing, understanding, communicating, getting on the same page, that is key for relationship. Knowing what somebody stands for, that is key. 
And in the same way in our relationship with God, we need to have communion, communication with him. And we have, all of us, on our phones, in, on our shelves, we have God's words spoken by God, recorded through the prophets, apostles, and disciples to know God's will, to know what he thinks. And when we engage in that, it is such an incredible blessing in our relationship with him. On top of that, we need God's word because it brings about personal conviction. And man, personal conviction is necessary in this life. Otherwise, we're tossed to and fro like a wave. I remember when I was younger, I wasn't really following Jesus. My parents were divorced, and every once in a while, my dad would bring me to church with him. He would try. I would try to sleep in or pretend I was sick. But he would bring me to church, and man, every once in a while, I was won by the preacher. I was captivated by what he had to say from God's word, and I was like, yes, my heart agrees. I want that. I want to walk in that. I see that that is good. I have tasted and seen the goodness of God in that. I want to walk in that. And I would try to walk in it for a couple days. It was, it was hard. I failed. I messed up. I forgot. And what I realized was I needed personal conviction from God. That's where the preacher got it. Because of his personal time in God's word, talking with God, communion with God. That's where he developed his conviction, his beliefs that guided his life. That was one of the big reasons why I got into God's word. Because I was like, man, I want conviction. I want to understand, God. I want to know your will. I want to follow your ways. Personal conviction is so necessary in our lives. And I'm, another reason we need his word is because... God's word is profitable for teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness. And man, we need training in righteousness. I need training in righteousness. Because when we don't walk in righteousness or in God's way, we are literally walking in a way that is against our created intent. We are literally pouring sugar into our gas tank. We are harming, destroying ourselves when we walk apart from God's way. We have a created order, and it is good. And as we lean into it, we experience life, God's way. We need God's word. And as we apply it to our lives, as we develop our personal convictions, as we walk in God's ways, as we learn to wield the sword of the Spirit, it is a blessing to those around us. And so I want to encourage you again as we move on, think about that person in your life that really knows how to wield the sword and that can encourage, challenge, and support you all in just one statement. Think about them. We can be like that to the people around us. We can be that kind of a blessing. And it starts in personal communion, communication with God and his word. Let's continue on in the passage in verses, we're going to read verses 38 through 41. They say this, And Jesus rose and he left the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. And he stood over her 
and he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now, when the sun was going down, all those who had any who were sick, various diseases, they brought them to Jesus. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out, many of them crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not let them speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Y'all, the first thing I want to point out here is they knew his name. The enemy, demons, knew Jesus' name. The first demon he casts out says, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? They were terrified of him. They called out, you surely are the son of God. The enemy, recognizing his power and obeying his authority, even the enemy. What this got me thinking about was when I was in high school, I was on the football team. I went to a huge school. We had 700 kids in our graduating class. Huge. I didn't even know the people I graduated with. During commencement, like people were walking and I was like, who? Who's that? But I hear that there's this thing in small towns where everyone knows each other, right? And you even know people from the neighboring towns. You know the other players on the teams. It wasn't so in the big metro area up by the Twin Cities. It wasn't so. We didn't really know anybody else, any other players. And so during our football season, our coaches would tell us about the teams. Hey, this one's got a great offense. We're going to do this, this, and this. And we would talk around the lunch table or before and after practice. And be like, man, we're in for trouble this week. They've got a really good offense. I don't know what we're going to do. Or we'd be like, man, they've got a great defense, but I think we can beat them on the attack. Or they're 0-6. We're going to cream them. Let's go. But every once in a while, like once a season, we would know someone's name. We would know one player's name. We'd be around the lunch table like, oh my gosh, have you heard? We're playing East this week. That means we're playing up against Tank Huggums. He's got a great last name. And on top of that, he is a beast. 220 pounds as a junior. He ran a 4-3-40. What are we going to do? We're in big trouble. That's what it's like when the demons were like, you surely are the son of God. They knew that Jesus, for lack of a better term, was a bad man. They knew that he had the power and authority. And also, as I was reading this, I recognized when Jesus cast out the demons both times, he told them to be silent. He wouldn't let them talk. And when I, when I thought about that, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Because for me, I'm like, hey, Jesus, you can hire me to like your PR team and I would really be able to help you out. Like for real. Like I can help you make your ministry huge. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go after the wealthy, the powerful, the authorities. Stay out of these small towns. Second, if demons come screaming out of people terrified of you, that's good publicity. You know, like they know that you have power. So just let them scream. Let them be afraid. But no, Jesus actually had other plans. And it kind of like, it, I, it just confused me. And so I looked at a, a commentary. Have you guys ever like read a commentary? It's so helpful. I look to commentaries when I have a question in the Bible, and then I go and talk with somebody about it. It's super helpful for learning and understanding, connecting those dots. But I look to this commentary, and 
it's said that actually the reason Jesus didn't want to speak, and he pointed out to other passages, the, the reason Jesus didn't want those demons to speak is because he didn't want to be made great by evil demons. He didn't want to be made great by the mouths of evil. And it actually reminded me of Abraham in Genesis. If you remember back to Genesis, when Abraham rescues Lot, right? Lot's rescued after this huge conquest. These kings come in. They take out Sodom, which was an evil city, if you remember. And they take Lot with them. Abraham goes after them. He defeats their army, which is crazy. And back then, when you won a battle, you had the right to all of the soldiers that were left. You had a right to all of the servants, all of the people, all of the money. And so Abram has all these people coming back with him. And the king of Sodom actually does something disgraceful. And he goes up to Abraham and he's like, hey, thanks for like winning the battle. But like, I know that these, this is rightful years, but could you just give me the people back? Keep the money. Give me my people, my soldiers back. Because without them, I'm not a king. And Abraham actually says, no, you know what? I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to give you the soldiers, the servants, and the money. Because I have a God who has promised me that he will make me a great nation. I will not be made great by an evil country. I don't want my name tied to Sodom. And in a similar way, Jesus is like, no way, I'm not going to be made famous by demons. No way. Jesus knew his call. He knew his purpose. He knew what he needed to do. He didn't need any help from demons. And also on top of that, if you remember, sometimes when Jesus heals people, he tells them, hey, don't, don't, go, don't go tell anyone. Right? Isn't that kind of perplexing? Don't, don't go tell anybody about this, even though a lot of them did. He heals them and says, don't tell anyone. Why? And I think this really rubs us the wrong way because the truth is Jesus likes to work and move ambiguously, doesn't he? Right? Like part of me is like, Jesus, it would be so much easier. Everybody in the world would believe in you. If you opened the sky like a box, if you stuck your head in and you said, hey, I'm Jesus, I, am, I have authority over everything, and you should serve me. And just to prove it, I'm going to make everyone's hair pink. Ready? Like, he could do that. He has all power and authority. Why doesn't he do something like that? Why? It's because Jesus likes to move ambiguously because it leaves room for something very important to him. Faith. Faith. In Hebrews, it says that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. That doesn't mean we don't have good reason to believe in Jesus though, right? Jesus performed thousands and thousands of miracles in front of so many people, tens of thousands of people, right? Like even here, after he heals Simon's mom, he heals a countless number of people. So many people were eyewitnesses to Jesus' power and authority. And I've had moments in my life where I'm like, man, Lord, I would have unshakable faith if I just got to see one of those. If I just got to see the bread multiplied. If I just got to see the leprosy leave someone's body, I would believe. 
And then I remember actually a lot of the people who witnessed those miracles, they, they didn't believe. They left. They couldn't explain it, but they didn't believe. And on top of that, y'all, all of these eyewitness accounts were recorded in the most trustworthy way available in the time that has been counted trustworthy up until maybe the modern age in our modern thinking. And that was actually just personal testimony recorded and written down. That is what the Bible is. That's what the New Testament is. It is eyewitness testimony given in front of so many people. They recorded it. They wrote it down. They talked about it. They agreed with it. Churches agreed with it to the point where they made thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of these things. And y'all, that wasn't cheap back then. You can't just grab a sheet of paper for free. I do it from the church printer all the time. Sorry, Cindy. (laughs) Couldn't just do that. It was expensive. Not many people were trained to do it. And it took a lot of time. They didn't have a printing press. They wrote it out word for word. And they did that thousands and thousands of times. And if you look at what we have used to compile the Bible, it is so congruent, those copies made. It's crazy to me. One thing I learned actually recently, my, one of my interns, Isaiah, I think said this when he was teaching this last week. He said that there is more proof actually that Jesus was resurrected from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever existed. That's crazy to me. There's more trustworthy eyewitness accounts. It's not a story. It is very clear in the way they wrote it. That this is an eyewitness testimony from believers and not that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. There's more proof of that than Julius Caesar existed. If you told someone, no, Julius Caesar didn't exist, they'd call you crazy. We have really good reason, actually, to have faith in Jesus. But there's still that ambiguity, isn't there? And Jesus wants it that way. He wants it that way. Because every time we doubt, it is an opportunity for faith. To talk about it, to walk through it, to look to God's word. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the things not yet seen. Something that Jesus highly values. Another thing I want us to see is that all of these miracles that Jesus did, casting out demons, making them flee in fear, that wasn't hard for him. That wasn't hard for Jesus. Remember, he's the one who created everything. Remember, he didn't lift his hand. He opened his mouth. Planets, billions of tons of matter, thousands and thousands and trillions of stars, galaxies came out of his mouth, crackling out like pop rocks with just opening his mouth. That is nuts. And the fact that Jesus was on one of the trillions of planets that he created, healing people, That's not hard. That's not hard for Jesus. So what should our response be to Jesus' power and authority when we read it in trustworthy ways, when we experience it in the lives of others? It should be faith. It should be faith. And y'all, in seeing Jesus work, 
in my heart, in the hearts of my friends, and seeing people come to new life, going from death to life in Jesus. Y'all, that has won me. That has won me. Jesus has won my heart. He has my allegiance. And yes, I doubt. Yes, I doubt. But I don't hold it in. I talk about it with my friends. I process through it out loud. I work through it and I remember the good reasons that I have for faith in Jesus. And so let's continue on. Verses 42 to 44, this is finishing up the passage. It says, And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. I love that Jesus does this multiple times throughout the gospel. He goes and he gets alone with God. Jesus loved communion and communication with God the Father. It's an example for us. He got away. He goes to this desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But Jesus said to them, hey, guys, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. And get this, for this is the... Sorry, let me try that again. For I was sent for this purpose. And he went and he preached in the synagogues of Judea. Y'all, Jesus, the God-man, with all power and authority, he walked in his purpose that was given to him by God the Father. Jesus walked in his purpose And yes, he was God, and in a way, we can't be like him. But also, we are called to follow him, right? Y'all, when we look at Jesus' life, how he lived a purposeful life, he did everything on purpose to be obedient to God. And y'all, because of his obedience, because of him living in his purpose, we don't have to be obedient to sin. That's good news. We We literally do not have to fear death. Or what comes next? Because Jesus followed his purpose. Incredible things happen when the purposes of God are followed. Y'all, because Jesus walked in his purpose, he became the bridge to God. Jesus is the bridge over this chasm called sin and rebellion and evil. And we can't cross it. We can't with any amount of works, any amount of attempt at perfection, we can't cross it. But Jesus has laid himself down as our bridge to relationship with God, what we were created for. That's what happens when Jesus walked in his purpose. And the question I want to ask you guys is what is your purpose? What are you living for? on a day-to-day basis. Y'all, if you are lacking purpose, I want to encourage you to put down what you're living for because it's not working and pick up what you were made for. Did you know that there's a call on your life? I talked about this with the college students on Monday, but it is such a felt need. Do you know there is a call on your life? There's actually two calls. The first call 
is a general call to every believer. Anyone who believes in Jesus, anyone who has bended the knee to serve the King of Kings, we have a general call. And it is big, but I think I can summarize a lot of it with three things. Number one, our general call, part of it, is to follow Jesus. To follow his example, to walk in the way that he walked. To let him shepherd us in life. The second thing is to obey his commands. And it's crazy how many things fall in line when we do things Jesus' way. In John 15, Jesus says like, hey, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I actually tell you my commands so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He's not just trying to get a bunch of people to follow him to show, to show off. Following Jesus is so for our good. So we're called to follow Jesus, to obey his commands. And this third one too, to make disciples of all nations. All of us are called to make disciples. And y'all, I can't think of a better purpose than seeing people go from death to life. Discipleship, it is an amazing call to step into life with people, to empathize, to walk through things, to admit it when you don't know what to do. But to point them to the truth, to point them to God's word, things that are hitting you. That is discipleship. And the amazing thing is that when we walk in this general call, in our purpose, we get to be the bridge to Jesus. We are the bridge to the bridge. We get to lead people to Jesus so they can have new life in relationship with God. That's part of our general call. But also, there's a specific call in your life. A call that is tailored to who God created you to be. God knit you together. He designed you. He has a created call for your life. It's a mixture of giftings given to you by God, passions and convictions from his word. And it is discerned over time for your individual life. And one thing I want to point out is it's not just a vocation. It's not like the only calls are like apostleship or being a pastor. It's actually way more than that. For example, I know a guy in our college ministry. He is called to serve. Everywhere he goes, this guy serves. He leads people from underneath. He gets low and humbles himself and loves people by serving them. Even when they don't get it. Even when they take advantage of him. Even when they don't think of him highly. And I'm like, oh my gosh, man. That is incredible. The love of God manifested in his life through service. He knows he is called to it because he does it also when he doesn't want to do it. He, know God, he knows that God has called him to service. Everywhere he goes, he does it. No job description. He doesn't get a salary for that. But everywhere he goes, he serves. I know a gal who used to be part of our, our uh, college ministry. She is called to prayer. She prays all the time about everything. 
She starts her day with prayer. She walks through the day with prayer. She drives and she's praying. She's praying when she falls asleep. When somebody's name comes into her head, she prays for them. She intercedes for them. She asks people all the time, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? She's called to prayer. No money in it, but everywhere she goes, she prays because she is convinced that God has called her to pray. And one more example, I know a guy in our church family who is called to cultivate culture. He shapes culture. He's a guy that when he walks in the room, he kind of directs the attitude of the room. He directs the feeling of the room. People kind of naturally look to him to set the tone like, hey, is this okay? Subconsciously, they follow him. And he sets a culture of acceptance, of love, of one where you can grow in Jesus. That's what he does wherever he goes, on the job, off the job. No job description for that. He doesn't get paid for it, but he does it wherever he goes. That is a call, a specific call on our lives. And my, my question for you is, what is your specific call? And if you don't know, if you haven't asked this, I would encourage you to ask God. Ask him to reveal it to you through his word, through your convictions, through your giftings, and walk in it. And in the meantime, walk in your general call to follow Jesus, to obey his commands, to make disciples. Because even when we get our specific call, we still got our general call. I want to invite the band to come up. But I want to leave you guys with this thought that Jesus being in and of himself, fully God and fully man. Jesus, he had all power and all authority, and yet he chose to walk in the purpose given him by God. And the world was blessed through that. In the same way, when we walk in our purpose given by God, both general and specific, people around us are blessed they get to experience a little bit of heaven, the body of Christ. So let us walk in our purpose. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you. Just thank you for Jesus, Lord. I'm so grateful for the gospel that Jesus died for us so that we can live in relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our bridge that we have hope, that we have meaning, that we have purpose in this life and the next. Lord, would you help us to walk in our call, both general and specific. Help us to walk in what you are calling us to do, Lord. And God, I pray that as this church family takes steps to walk in our call, God, that we would taste and see, number one, that you are good. And that we, you would use us powerfully to bless those around us. That we would see those who do not know Jesus, that they would come to know you. That they would form relationship with you. That they would give their life to you, God, because you are the only eternal purpose. Thank you that you love us even when we stray like Israel. Thank you. God, I pray that you would 
move in our hearts today and this week. We love you and we want to follow you with our whole lives. Pray that you do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.